There really is nothing more pitiful or senseless than a mass stranding of whales. Around 100 pilot whales stranded themselves recently on the West Coast. It's senseless, largely because we still don't really know why whales beach themselves. The largest recorded mass stranding in Australia was in 2020, when almost 500 whales beached at possibly the most treacherous and infamous inlet in the country, Hell's Gate, at Macquarie Harbour on the western coast of Tasmania. Little did locals who tried to save them know that whales would beach again, exactly two years later to the day. Their testimonies form the new show Hell's Gate by Joel Carnegie, who joins me now. G'day, Joel. G'day, Andy. To witness a mass whale stranding sounds quite emotional. Uh, There's chaotic thrashing, the cries of baby whales, the urgency of time and tides, plus the smell, which is apparently quite awful. What Mm. is it like to witness a whale stranding? From all of the stories that we've collated over the years that we've been creating this show, uh, I think in the first instance, people's minds go to logistics in very difficult circumstances. And so a lot of a lot of conversations we had were around the the practical things that you need to do in a whale stranding in order just to get by. I know when you look at the images on TV and certainly in the most recent strandings in WA, you look as an observer, as an outsider to the tragic nature of that event. But I think when you're in it, uh, and this is as we've been told as well, it's all about just dealing with the immediate situation that's unfolding right in front of you. And that requires training. Would you believe there's a manual for this? Really? And yeah, there's a whale stranding manual. The idea in theory is that you follow the manual. The problem is, is when you get a big stranding, like 12 whales. Now, when you have 500 pilot whales on the beach, uh, the manual really goes out the window. So how come there's a manual on how to do this uh, specific thing, but but not any kind of concrete ideas about why whales beach themselves. There are a few theories. What do you think the closest is to the truth in your view? Oh, look, it's a really good question. Um, there are so many different competing theories um, about uh, migratory patterns and uh, the effects of offshore drilling. I think uh, everyone has their own views on this, but it is very difficult to understand uh, exactly why this happens. Of course, we know that the whales came back and were re-stranded two years later to the very day. You had the chance to be there to witness that, didn't you? That's right. We got a call very early in the morning uh, from one of the locals saying they're back. And immediately I rang uh, writer James Jackson. I said, James, what are you doing? He was like, yep, packing the bags now, running to the airport. He uh, was met at the Bernie airport by another local. He uh, managed to um, to gain access to the beach um, where it was all cordoned off and, and he uh, was able to spend time on the beach with the, with the whales as they were dying and as they were deceased and also spent time right on the boat as, uh, as they were taking out the whales. Um, so we certainly know exactly what it's like on the front line of that and pretty harrowing stuff um, that really has informed the work in such a deep way, um, having now had that real-life experience and that real-life experience then being morphed into uh, the script and then uh, onto the stage, as people will see. 
Your show focuses less on whale behaviour, but something perhaps a little bit more mysterious, a human behaviour mm. in, in terms of responding to these events. You and your writing partner, James Jackson, spent time doing these exhaustive interviews with those involved in the rescue mission of these stranded whales. What sort of things did they tell you that made you think this story needs to be shared? There's a human drama and interconnectedness here that needs to be mediated in the form that you've taken. Well, when we came across the story in the first place, we were uh, in a timber store in Strawn, which is nestled on the west coast of uh, Littrowita, Tasmania. And this was a, a place where we began our journey with this story, uh, meeting lots of different people. And um, for us, uh, the situation kind of unfolded pretty organically in a sense that the the people that we spoke to uh, led us from one person to the next to the next as we uh, just tried to work out what were all the pieces uh, to this story. And as you said, you know, this is a, uh, a show that's not about the whales per se, but it's about the community's response to it. And very early on, it was really clear to me that this wasn't just about the whale stranding. This actually was tapping into something a lot bigger, that being perhaps the global challenge that is facing us all right now so far as the uh, environmental calamities of our time. And this was an example of a community that decided to roll up the sleeves and turn up and do something about it. So for me, very early on, that really triggered something uh, for me, and I think that's probably the reason why we've continued to pursue it uh, some now two and a half years on. And there is a wonderful parallel here, really, uh, and an observation to be made about how, you know, pilot whales, they're very social, they stick together and they follow each other, which is mm. kind of lovely, even though it works out terribly for them, uh, a salient lesson, uh, as you said, about climate change. If you mm. just join me on RN Drive, Joel Carnegie's here. We're talking about his new show, Hell's Gates, on RN Drive. You describe this project as creative journalism. <laughs> what is that term? Let's get into that because this is a term that could be misunderstood, couldn't it? Yeah, you're right, actually. I uh, hadn't thought about that in this extent. But look, for me, it's about journalism that has that is brought within a different context, and in this case, a theatrical context, where what we have done is we have uh, interviewed hundreds, spent hundreds and hundreds of hours interviewing people from all aspects of uh, the West Coast, but also the stranding uh, uh, efforts more broadly. And um, and all of those interviews have kind of gone into the big melting pot of ideas that have then been um, churned through and and picked through, if you wait, if you will. But but to elicit. Um, uh, the stories that we have decided to use within the course of this production. So um, I kind of call it a creative retelling of the events that took place. Um, and um, and I guess really for us, it's up to the audience to kind of work through what uh, w what's truth and what's not. But I guess that's probably uh, <laughs> says something about the, the broader state of, uh, the, of, media. Uh, yeah. of the media right now, right? <laughs> There's yes. a certain sense of, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, perspective and, uh, and interpretation. At the very heart of it, it is about uh, that celebration of community and actually working quite closely with the community. And we've been in constant communication with um, all of the uh, uh, the key individuals that we've uh, been 
uh, we've now formed great friendships with over the course of the last couple of years. And um, and I'm thrilled that they're actually going to be uh, with us in person for the premiere season, as you said, at the Geelong Arts Centre um, coming up uh, over the next couple of days. Because in terms of adapting real life interviews into theatre or, or drama, the recent film Reality about an American intelligence analyst jailed for leaking classified information suffered terribly by kind of lifting dialogue verbatim from the contemporary interviews. It was too strictly literal and it was a hard watch considering the pretty sensational content. So, so where mm. do you draw the line between fact and fiction? Is it what you leave out that is more important than what you leave in? Mm. Well, I think there's a number of reasons why we chose to um, perhaps move into less of a documentary, strict documentary sense and more into a theatrical retelling. And that's been in part through conversation, in fact, we've had with um, with people involved in, in The Strandings. They said, look, you know, whilst this is our story, we want you to kind of take it and run with it and, and we want you to create a really compelling um, experience for, for people that, that shares our stories, the stories that you've collected, but doing that in a really respectful and responsible way. So in fact, kind of journalism ethics still remains strong in this production, even though there are some aspects of this, this show, which have, um, uh, been elevated for dramatic purposes, but, um, but even still, uh, I think everyone is pretty clear when you're certainly locally um, what happened and what didn't happen. And I think the differences will be um, will be easily identified for those who are actually involved in the strandings and they'll, they'll sort of chuckle to themselves. And for everyone else, it will be a rollicking rollercoaster of a ride that is based on true events, but we're not uh, depicting them in a strict documentary sense. This is still uh, live theatre and, uh, and, and we want people to have a, a rollercoaster of a time. Um, and would you believe, in fact, that um, uh, that whale strandings can be at times pretty monotonous and pretty pretty hard work. Um, and so uh, so there's a certain sense of um, you've got 60 minutes to tell a story which takes place over, uh, you know, three weeks. And so you need to be a little selective with what you choose to uh, to talk about within, uh, within the show as well to uh, keep audiences uh, on yeah, the edge of their seats. Absolutely. So we've spoken about how Hell's Gate uh, as a site and uh, this story as a metaphor for perhaps the human crisis when re in relation to climate change. But there's mm. also an interesting parallel here with convict history. I mean, Hell's Gate was often the last thing that convicts or the first thing that they would see when they arrived in Tasmania. Mm. Uh, and there's also that parallel of complete sadness, this socio-historical overlay of, of a great human tragedy as well. Yeah, look, you're right, and uh, this particular stretch of water is pretty treacherous, uh, and uh, and has um, has seen its fair share of tragedies in itself, and and certainly uh, dating back to um, to convict times, and and uh, as people were were brought to Sarah Island, which is uh, one of the islands located uh, in Macquarie Harbour, so that's that's where uh, they spent often their their last days, um, and uh, and also um, some a, a site where. Um, where there was a lot of a lot of death and a lot of lot of tragedy on 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 lots of different lots of different levels. So uh, now this part of the world is transformed into an extraordinary, um, oh gosh, sort of end of the world end of the world kind of wonderland. You know, this very remote part of Australia uh, where not many people um, live, and um, and yet there's this vastness of of um, of history. Um, and a vastness of um, of the environment, which we uh, which we've worked uh, 
quite hard to uh, to depict in the course of uh, this show. Banding together during disasters really is a central tenet of the Australian story. It's mm. what we do. It's what we help. Uh, you know, we help out each other in times of crisis, whether it be uh, the Tinny Army in the case of Lismore with the floods, fire, yeah. drought, what, what, whatever you like. But I'm just curious about how you celebrate or challenge that idea in this show. Mm. Yes, look, it's a it's a really good question. And I think um, the conversations that we've had with with the, with people in Strawn and across the West Coast uh, have been pretty matter of fact in the sense of uh, just rolling up the sleeves and, and getting a job done. Uh, and um, and so it's not so much about um, celebrating them in a in a fake sense, but I think it's just about acknowledging that story and acknowledging the extraordinary achievement, but doing it in a way that is representative of the stories and the characters and the people that we've spent a lot of time with. So yes, the show, um, acknowledges, uh, acknowledges that, but, um, but does it, I hope in a way that, um, that is, um, yeah, appropriate in the context of the way in which the stories have been described to us and um, and uh, representative of the people who told those stories to us. Now, if you're not able to get to the Geelong Arts Centre this weekend to see it, so you can actually see this performance uh, live streamed, I understand. Yes, that's right. So um, on Saturday, the 12th of August, uh, we'll be live streaming the uh, closing performance of Hell's Gates through the Australian Digital Concert Hall. The Australian Digital Concert, australiandigitalconcerthall.com is the website. Um, and uh, once you register, you'll be able to watch the uh, the show uh, 7.30 on Saturday, our closing performance. And I should mention too, an extraordinary cast joining us for this production. Uh, Louise Siverson, um, Prisoner, a Heartbreak Choir, uh, Matthew Nardopo, uh, most recently seen as George Washington in the Australian production of Hamilton, and Natalie O'Donnell from Come From Away, most recently she was in Come From Away, and live and a live musical scoring from uh, Zanny Kolak, who uh, people will have also seen in Come From Away. So um, a really um, extraordinary trio of actors joined uh, live on stage with uh, music, a musical underscoring to depict the world and depict the, the whales um, with the whole show directed by Katie Maudlin. Uh, it's been an extraordinary process in rehearsals as we've worked towards this, um, this show. And, uh, and, and we, uh, we hope that we'll uh, represent that story well. Of course, best seen in person though, Hell's Gates will be uh, on tonight. Four shows from the 10th to the 12th of August at the Geelong Arts Centre. Creator Joel Carnegie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Andy. Great to chat to you too. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.